0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, we've got a cool show this week. I've got the mental skills coach who I consider the football version of the baseball nomad. He's Spencer Ferrari Wood. Now this guy's incredible because he's an American, he's a coach, he's a speaker, he's a writer, he's a teacher... Man, the guy's coached on on the top level in five different European countries, as well as serving as the national team head coach of football in Germany. Now, Spencer's going to come on and he's going to speak to us and share a collection of his thoughts on leadership, on routines, on habit formation. He'll give us some valuable insight on the powerful tools or the free resources that he produces uh, called the 40 Seconds of Fuel Now, you can use these to ignite your morning, so stick around because it's going to be another cool show. Ball Nomad Podcast.
1: On this podcast, we take a deep dive into the international game of baseball and
0: softball. Every week on the show, we will talk with coaches and players from around the world where we'll discuss preparation, motivation, and building a consistent mental process for those high-leverage, high-stakes situations.
1: If 90% of the game is mental, we need to stop giving everything a physical remedy.
0: Stick around for your host. He's played and coached professionally on 5 different Continents and won 12 different national championships.
1: He's the original baseball nomad. Some call him the hit doctor, but heck, you can just call him Coach AB.
0: Let's get into my Remember the Titans moment of the week. Honesty? You want honesty? All right, honestly? I think you're nothing. Nothing but a pure waste of God-given talent. You don't listen to nobody, man. Why should I give a hoot about you? Huh? Or anybody else out there? You want to talk about a waste, you the captain, right? Right. Captain's supposed to be the leader, right? Right. You got a job? I have a job. You been doing your job? I have been doing my job. I'm supposed to wear myself out for the team? What team? No, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look out for myself and I'm going to get mine. See, man, that's the worst attitude I ever heard. Attitude reflect leadership, Captain. Frank Robinson once said, you get signed and paid on performance. So you should focus on your performance. He also said that this game is about winning about beating the other guy. Now Robinson died in 2019 and he was legendary. He's one of my heroes. He broke down a huge barrier by becoming the first African American manager in Major League Baseball in 1975. As a kid growing up in the Bay Area, I rooted for him. He was one of my idols because, you know, he managed my boyhood team, the San Francisco Giants. He's the guy who actually inspired me to become a player manager. Now, he wasn't only an extraordinary human being. He was honored by, by everyone in the game, as well as President George W. Bush, who gave him the Presidential Medal of Honor. I, today, wonder if he would be disappointed that the door that he opened over 44 years ago hadn't seen many minorities follow through in, its foot, in his footsteps. Dusty Baker and Dave Roberts are the game's only black managers in the game today. I'm excited, though, that there are two African-American coaches who will serve as bench coaches this year, and I'm sure they will become wonderful candidates to actually walk through that door in the near future. The first is Will Venable. Uh, Will's going to be the bench coach for Alex Korup. Venable played basketball and baseball at Princeton. Outside of his father, Venable said that Dave Roberts had been the greatest impact on him professionally. Now, this guy, Venables like very knowledgeable, and he's got this willingness and humility to do what needs to be done in the moment. He said, I'm consumed by what I'm doing, not what I'm hoping to be doing sometime in the future. He added that I think there are people who are too consumed by their ambition. In other words, people who are always looking past whom they're talking to, and looking for the most important person in the room. You can tell that Venable's got players, best interests at heart. Also, there's George Lombard, who's part of that who was a part of that Dodger staff that just won the World Series. Uh, and who, again, he's worked closely with Dave Roberts as well. Lombard will be the bench coach for AJ Hinch uh, in Detroit uh, for the Tigers. And he said that I'm really looking forward to all that, that a bench coach entails. He said it gives him an opportunity to expand his baseball understanding, uh, working with analytics and, and being empowered to do whatever A.J. needs him to do. Uh, he's really excited because he had a chance to talk to Alex Cora about how A.J. AJ Hench relies on his coaches. Now, Lombard's got a pretty interesting story. His mother, Posey Lombard, was a civil rights activist in the height. Of the movement in the 60s and in the 70s. She was a white woman from Massachusetts and the daughter of a Harvard dean. She traveled to the Jim Crow South as a student at Smith College uh, and protested against racial injustice. On multiple occasions, Posey Lombard was arrested, she marched on behalf of Martin Luther King, and even spent a week in a Montgomery jail. She listened to the words of Malcolm X, stared down members of the Ku Klux Klan who were Incidentally, holding a pistol and several baseball bats in Natchez, Mississippi, where she helped lead an effort to integrate a local playground. So, you know, this is Lombard's sort of role model, right? Uh, from the beginning, Lombard says he's in, a no, in no hurry to become a manager, but he's not shy about the fact it's one of his goals. So both Lombard and Venable this year will gain further insight and have a deeper understanding of what a manager faces day in and day out. But in my mind, make no mistake that they both tick all the boxes already for leadership in the game of baseball. Both of these men are really close to walking through that door that Frank Robinson opened in 1975. But, as Frank Robinson once famously said, Close don't count in baseball. Close only counts in horseshoes and grenades. All right, so there you have my Remember the Titans moment. Let's get into the show. All right, all right, all right. So, hey, I got Spencer Ferrari Wood on the line. Hey, Spencer, how are you doing today, man? I'm great, Anthony, thanks for having me on. I'm glad
1: we're able to connect with you being in China, me being in Belgium, we were able to make it work. So, uh, yeah,
0: happy to be here. That's right, you're in Belgium, man. You know, Belgium is one of my favorite countries. I, I played in Belgium in 2013, and I loved it, man. It was, you know, I mean, good beer. Beer was a little bit dangerous. Uh, but good chocolate, good yeah. food, good people. I love it.
1: Yeah, it, it's a great place. It's funny because I, I moved here to Belgium from Munich, Germany. So uh, I feel lucky because if you're a beer guy, then living in Munich and living in Brussels, Belgium are two pretty good places. So I've, I've been lucky.
0: You're, you are like the football version of uh, the baseball nomad. We'll call you the, the, the football nomad. So how many different countries yeah, have you yeah, played yeah, and no, that, coached in?
1: Uh, I've played or coached in Poland, Austria, Germany, Belgium, and then obviously the States. So I guess if you want to say five, more or less.
0: Wow, wow. Now, you know, as an American guy, you know, how, how does an American guy end up being a mental skills coach in football in Europe? Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, well... Um, Yeah, so I I didn't really know much about American football in Europe being a thing, uh, but I I came over after college, played a year here, um, and really just kind of developed a love for being an ambassador for, you know, my sport, you know, football here in Europe, and just kind of seeing it grow and develop and evolve. Obviously, like baseball, it's a minority sport here, um, so soccer is king over here, so kind of being a part of its growth has been fun. Um, And, you know, kind of as you climb this ladder of, you know, the professional leagues over here, you kind of see players who are very gifted physically, um, but maybe mentally they just have never been taught, you know, that how important and significant that aspect of the game is. And I think, you know, being over here, I just realized that, man, you know, if you approach, you know, the mindset with the same enthusiasm that you do your physical skill set, um, the sky is the limit. And I think a lot of guys never really walk down that path because it's all about. You know, I got to get a higher squat, a bigger bench press or whatever. I got to run a faster 40. But they, they forget about these mental skills that um, can really take them to the next level. So I really kind of just, uh, you know, developed a love for for the mental side of my sport. Um, and then I started reading a lot about it. Um, I write a lot about it. Uh, I'm studying it right now in a master's degree. Um, and so it's it's been fun just to kind of uh, to learn more about it. I would consider it a, a passionate hobby.
0: Uh, right now until I get my degree but it's uh it's a lot of fun wow so that's so cool and I, I gotta tell you I've been really excited to get you on because you know baseball softball you know it's such a mental game and I think, uh, players, clubs, organizations, uh, development departments are starting to see how you know a strong mental game is a game changer. Can you talk about this trend that you see since coming over? Uh, this trend of well being, or m- we can call it mindfulness, in sports. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I would say um, I'll go back a little bit to give you know again a football example here. It's easier for me maybe, but. Um, you know, I think 50 years ago, the University of Nebraska football team was just crushing everybody and no one could really specifically figure out why that was. And I think people eventually realized that they had a really great strength program, right. uh, that their guys were just so much stronger than everybody else. And at the time that was quite revolutionary. Um, but eventually everyone else kind of caught on and developed a great strength program of their own. And then it wasn't so uncommon anymore. And I think that's kind of where we are with, you know, let's say sports psychology, you know, the mindset right now, Um, people are starting to see that it's increasingly beneficial um, to teams to have people on staff who are responsible for developing mentally strong athletes within the organization. Um, And as you know, sports psychology, you know, that term is probably more popular overseas than it is in the States, especially, you know, in Australia, it's really big in Europe, it's pretty big, but it's growing in the States. but I think, you know, the the trend that we're seeing is that people are starting to see that it makes a difference. Um, but it is difficult to gauge our impact. You know, whereas strength programs, you can concretely see a player improve by looking at their numbers on bench press or squat. But on the mental side of the game, it's tougher to kind of gauge beneficially how, how, how we are. Um, but I think it's... It's been cool in professional sports, let's say, to kind of see people talk more about mental health, mental well-being, mindfulness. I mean, the NFL last year, Dak Prescott opened up about his mental health issues. Um, Hayden Hurst, the tight end of the NFL, he survived a suicide attempt in 2016. Joey Votto in baseball, I mean, he went into depression after his father died, um, and he talked about it. I think, you know, the more that we are open, you know, to talking about it, the better that it will become. Um, and so when I think about you know mindfulness and and well being, uh, there's a a concept from a book that I read that I really like. It's, it's called the inner game of tennis, uh, and it applies to many things outside of tennis. But it's kind of you know it's it talks about it's it's obviously not a good thing to approach any situation with a ton of negativity. Right. But merely replacing that with positivity isn't always just a sufficient answer. And uh, Trevor Moawad, who's a mental conditioning coach, he says, you know, we need to exhibit what he calls neutral thinking, which is kind of neither positive or negative, um, just seeing events as they are, without any added emotions. Um, and I think that's, you know, important. We think about mindfulness and well-being in sports, um, understanding how important that is, um, and, and trying to take away some of the emotions involved, that it, it's super positive or it's super negative, Let's just look at it how it is without any added emotions, um, and let's see, you know, how how we should approach it, how we can be better because of it. I think it's a powerful
0: concept. That is powerful, especially uh, with the current sort of state of the world right now, where uh, you know athletes yeah. have kind of had to step back and not play those games that they love, and then now as things are starting to open up, you know, there's this tendency to try to go harder, you know, uh, than you would normally do because. You're you're, you're on the field again all of a sudden. Right. Uh, Right. It's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Like I've, you know, I've been working with a, a, an Olympic team and you know, they're, they're playing, they're not playing, they're playing, they're not playing. It's a roller coaster emotionally that they're going on. But the one thing that, you know, doesn't change is that they have to be prepared. You know, they have to be in control of their process. Uh, In your opinion, why, why, Has mental toughness been such a complex definition for coaches and players in the past?
1: Yeah, no, I love this question. I mean, I I know you love mental toughness as well, obviously. I think mental toughness has been something that's really intriguing for me. um, Because if you Google mental toughness, I mean, there's thousands of definitions out there. um, Just like there is for, you know, leadership or adversity. I mean, there's, there's so many definitions out there so it's hard to kind of you know land on a universal agreement for one Um, and i I kind of began this quest a while ago on how how do you succinctly concisely define mental toughness and where i landed is mental toughness is doing what needs to be done even when you don't feel like it i think that last little phrase is the most important because you're not always going to feel inspired right you're not always going to feel motivated you might not even feel like you care at all but mentally tough people push onwards and upwards anyway. And I think you know it can become such a complex thing, like you said, because I think we don't know how to test our mental toughness. So people say, Oh, I'm mentally tough, or right. oh that person's mentally tough. Well, how do we really test that? And I think the ultimate test, and I, I got this from Tim Kite, he said the ultimate test of mental toughness is, you know, what does your discipline look like at defining moments in your life? So your career, your relationships, your health. Because your career doesn't care that you had a long day. You know, your relationships don't care that traffic was brutal on the commute back home.
0: Right. Your
1: health doesn't care that you're tired of eating right and would rather eat what you crave. Um, sometimes what you feel like doing and what you need to be doing are not the same thing. So I think mentally tough people understand that when your feeling does not align with what needs to get done it's critical to have the discipline to take action anyway, embrace productive discomfort and just do the work. So I think, you know, mental toughness is increasingly needed in today's world. Um And it's not as complex as we make it out to be. You just do something that needs to be done, even when you don't feel like doing it, because
0: you're not always going to feel like it. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, you're, you, your goals don't care about your feelings. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. you know, I have um, I have uh, a couple of uh, mainstays that, you know, when I when I uh, think about um coaching the uh, mental aspect, we use the um uh the mental game of baseball by uh, um Dorfman or uh the intangibles. Um these got these books have, and, and these uh, authors have had like huge impact for me. Uh, I'm curious and I asked this to you know all the uh, mental skills coach mental skills coaches that I come across you know what's been the biggest sort of biggest impact for you in terms of um, sports psychology or uh, mental skills like is there someone you know a go-to or I might pick up wooden for example like if I if you know I'm trying to yeah. get guys fired up uh, who's had the biggest impact for you?
1: Yeah, well, Wooden is a good one. Um, You know, it's (laughs) funny, you're a baseball guy, I'm I'm a football guy, but a basketball guy is a guy who has a lot of impact and a lot of reach. Um, But Wooden, I think he has probably some of the most tweetable quotes of anyone to have ever lived. I mean, I think he has a lot of really good one-liners that are impactful. I think for me, um, maybe there's two people in my life that I've, you know, uh, at least had a personal connection to uh, that have been pretty impactful. I think of a guy like Tom Bates, um, who was a performance psychologist in the UK? Uh, he's worked with a lot of Premier League teams. He's the former head of culture at Aston Villa uh, when, when they're in the Premier League. Okay. Um, another guy is James Leith. He's had a tremendous impact on my career um, as someone who kind of I look up to in terms of performance psychology. He was the former head of leadership development at IMG Academy. He also worked with the Chicago Bulls organization. Um, but both of those guys, Tom Bates, James Leith. Uh, I mean, they have obviously social media accounts, uh, they have, you know, books and podcasts of their own, but I mean, if, if you're looking for some gold nuggets of insight for psychology, um, they have a lot of really good stuff. I would also say, uh, I'm a pretty avid reader. Um, and maybe one book that stands out that I can think of off the top of my head, uh, that really impacted me and kind of transformed the way that I live, I would say, is a book by James Clear called atomic habits. It's become pretty well known in the past, um, uh, year or so but it really kind of talks about how how to build better habits and get rid of bad ones um and i think that's that's really had a good impact on me as well uh, in terms of you know goals are good um but habits are the things that will get you there and i think that was a book that really helped me understand that
0: is there something that's a common myth uh that you you could debunk uh that you've come across now that you're coaching the mental skills
1: Yeah, well, I think when it comes to mental toughness or performance psychology, you know, one common myth is that, you know, it's maybe for players or coaches who are weak or who are in need. Um, And I think that's such a sad lie, you know, because when you think about, uh, again, let's look at the word or the term performance psychology. When you think about if you're going to go see a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor, there's this negative stigma associated with that word that, Oh, you have, you must have a problem. So right. you need to go have someone correct that problem. Um, but I think one thing I, I've been trying to learn is like, you know, I, I think, I think, uh, couples should go to like marriage counseling when things are great. How do we, how do we get better? It doesn't mean there has to be an issue. I mean, there's always going to be issues, but like, how do we always just try to seek that thing to make us better um, and I think that, that's a really big myth for the psychological aspect of sports is that it's for players who, you know, are weak or have a big issue. I think if you want to be the best of the best, you know, as I said, I mean, you, you should approach your mindset with the same enthusiasm uh, as you do your physical skill set to really improve your mental toughness. Um, I got this from Tom Bates, the guy I just referenced who's in the Premier League. You know, he said, you know, when you're in the Premier League, it's the best soccer players in the world. And everyone there is peak, prime, top-level athlete. But the thing that really separates them, you know, the best of the best from everyone else is that mental side of the game, the mental toughness. It's people that really approach um, the mental skills in their sport and take with the same seriousness that they do the physical side of sports. And, And you see people like that really kind of begin to separate themselves from everybody else. Um, so I think, you know, the, the thing that needs to be debunked is that everyone needs this. I mean, if you want to improve in your craft, be it baseball, be it football or anything else in life, you need to approach the mindset with the same enthusiasm that you approach it with, you know, the the physical skills.
0: Wow. That's some strong stuff right there. You know, that's awesome. The, the, the one thing that I, I, I find myself continuously telling, uh, hitters, uh, in baseball and in softball is, hey, you know what, have a plan, have a plan for when things go wrong. Yeah. Rehearse what you're going to do and how you're going to react when anxiety sets in, you know, someone might be throwing hard. You don't think you can hit it or whatever, or you've swung through a couple of pitches that you normally would hit, you know, have a plan for, you know, resetting yourself or, or being able to talk to yourself instead of listening to yourself, if that makes sense. Right. Are there any tips that you can give, you know, our listeners some, some quality thoughts that can help athletes when they start to experience, you know, those doubt demons or anxiety in games? Or Is there anything that, you know, you, you give to your players?
1: Yeah, well, I think from a mental skills or, you know, performance psychology perspective, I'm a big fan of imagery and visualization. Um I wish I would have understood the importance of that when I was playing. I think I didn't really understand that as much until I became a coach. But I think, you know, seeing things and visualizing things is really, really important. So from a baseball perspective, you know, you need to see yourself having success in the moment. And I think you need to be as specific as possible. So, for example, if you're a hitter, you know, there's a a good article by another performance psychologist named Mike Clark. And he says, uh, he calls it, see it, feel it, trust it. And so I think, you know, if you look at that process, you know, see it. So so when you're as a hitter about to you know, see the at bat that you're after, work to bring in as many senses as possible, you know, visualize um, what that picture picture looks like, visualize, you know, his arm angle, you know, where is it coming at, um, you know, from your perspective. And then you need to feel it. So feel the at bat, and I mean, bring in as many senses as you can. So feel the at bat from your feet in the dirt to the bat in your hands, Um, you know, like really kind of feel, your cleats setting into the dirt in the batter's box. You know your fingers and palms are gripped around that baseball bat. Looking at the the pitcher, visualizing you know what that that pitch is going to come in and look like. And then after you can see the at bat and feel the at bat trust that it will happen um, because you belong to be here uh, or else you wouldn't be on this team. You wouldn't be in this league. So you belong to be here. So see it, feel it, and then trust it. I think, again, that's something that I wish I would have learned when I was you know, a player, um, but I've learned that as a lot as a coach and I think that's critically important.
0: Wow. Good stuff. You, you talk a, a lot about balance uh, in your 40 seconds of fuel to fuel to start your day. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about this, this concept, 40 seconds of fuel?
1: Yeah. So 40 seconds of fuel, um, just a quick rundown is, I mean, it's, it's basically, um, something that I created to uh, help people, particularly during this, you know, pandemic was right around a year ago that I released it. And it's been cool to see people from all over the world that kind of got, um, you know, became impacted by it. Um, but basically it's you know 100 days you receive a very short email from you from me that takes about 40 seconds for you to read and it's something that is going to be motivational encouraging hopefully inspire you to to give you that extra fuel for the day Um, but the the concept actually came from um, there's this medical research study done in 1999 by Johns Hopkins University and it discovered something really significant and the aim of the study was to um, assess, you know, like the effect of a doctor's compassion on their cancer patient's anxiety. Bedside manner. Um, and the focus, I'm sorry?
0: Their bedside manner, basically.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so the focus was kind of to find out know, how much time do these doctors have during their day to share their undivided attention with their patients. And Doctors and physicians at the University Hospital at at the study are understandably busy, you know And if you've ever spent time in the ER You know the people who work there are constantly running around and don't have a ton of time to waste so the findings of the study actually revealed that these doctors had an average of 40 seconds to share their undivided attention with their cancer patients literally just 40 seconds that was it so you know, listen, like I hate getting emails, especially regarding things like I don't care about or don't immediately provide value to me in some way. I've clicked unsubscribe at the bottom of emails more time than I can count. So right. I understand. So I think 40 seconds, you know, for me, the 40 cents of fuel, you know, you have 40 seconds or less to give your undivided attention to something to in the mornings. And 40 Cents of Fuel, you know, aims to kind of provide that free bite-sized chunk of motivation that you need to boost your day and really make every morning count. So it's just 100 days, a little fuel for your morning to start your day. Um, And it's been cool to kind of see its impact.
0: Wow. Well, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to receiving mine, by the way. I I do a lot of yoga in the morning. Uh, and I, you know, so, some days life kind of gets in the way and you're rushing out the door because you woke up a little bit later, whatever. I can immediately feel how not unhinged, but unbalanced I am when I don't take that little bit of time in the morning to kind of set my yeah. intent, set my, my direction, right? So 40 seconds of fuel, I, man, I, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this hundred next hundred days. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I appreciate it. Hey, uh, Spence, it was great having you on. Where can our listeners connect with you online?
1: Yeah, I would say um, the best way to connect with me is actually probably my weekly newsletter. Um, So that's where I share the majority of my work. Um, I'm really proud of my newsletter. I'm, you know, admittedly unashamed on my my website. I say that it's the best newsletter on the Internet because I think that it is. Um, (laughs) But I I share every single Friday. I share... Uh, what I'm reading, uh, so it could be a book, an article that was impactful. What I'm watching could be a YouTube clip or even an occasional Netflix recommendation. Uh, what I'm learning, so what I'm learning that week as a man, as a husband, as a um, as a leader, and then what I'm writing. I write a new article every single Friday and publish it, and then the people in my newsletter get to see it first. Uh, so that's probably the best way to connect with me. Um, so you can go to spencerferrariwood.com and you can sign up for the four seconds of fuel. You can see my newsletter. Uh and on social media, uh I know we're in twenty twenty one, so this is crazy, but I'm not on Twitter. Uh but but I I am on Instagram. That's that's probably where I'm most active. I'm on LinkedIn as well. And if you just type in Spencer Ferrari Wood, I can guarantee you there's probably only one, and that's me. (laughs) Um so yeah, Instagram, you'll you'll find me, LinkedIn I'm there, but uh but I would say my newsletter, my website is probably the best place.
0: Yeah, great stuff. I you know Listen, if you guys have a chance, go and read some of his articles. They're, they're, I mean, they're really insightful, uh, inspiring, motivating. Um, you know. I, I, again, I'm looking forward to the, uh, the, the 40 seconds of fuel, and I hope to catch up with you again pretty soon. I know you're probably uh, on the move going back. I don't know if I'm spoiling any news here, but I know you've just uh, taken another nope, nope. job in the uh, U.S., so I wanted to congratulate you on that yeah, and yeah. wish you all the best, man.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. Anthony is good to connect with you and I uh, will, we'll be talking soon.
0: All right, buddy. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.